Hey everybody, how are you today? My name is Taylor and this is Morbid Academy and my light just turned off. We good? We good light? Thank you. No, it was not a ghosty goo. It's just these lights actually kind of suck. We're just going to keep going. Have any of you heard of Agatha Christie? If you haven't, where have you been? Because I'm pretty sure everybody knows who Agatha Christie is, even if they feel like they've never heard of who Agatha Christie is. And I guess it's it's kind of ironic. I did not I did not plan this, but the day that this episode comes out, the new movie Death on the Nile, which is I believe an Agatha Christie book, Hercule Poirot, I hope I'm saying that right, comes out. So, yay, Agatha Christie. Never read one of her books, but I know of her. I know there are multiple movies, multiple TV shows that are based off of her books. But what many of you may not know, unless you are like an Agatha Christie freak nerd, she disappeared for 11 days. Yep, it's not really, it's not really a true crime. It's definitely not paranormal, but she disappeared for 11 days and it sparked the largest manhunt in British history for a missing person. Nobody really knows for sure what happened because Agatha Christie never talked about it afterward. She said, I had amnesia. That was that. And that's it. So what the frick happened, Agatha? Again, it, this is a very different type of story, I guess, because it's not technically true crime. It's not paranormal. It's not really morbid, but but this is not just a true crime paranormal podcast. I want to talk about the authors who created creepy, morbid, true crime stuff. And Agatha Christie is one of those people. And then I heard that she freaking disappeared for 11 days and nobody freaking understands why or what happened or any of that. So let's get started, shall we? So of course we have to talk about Agatha Christie herself. She was born Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller on September 15th, 1890 in Devon, England. She was the youngest of three children born to Frederick Miller and Clarissa Margaret Miller. And she was about 10 years or so younger than her older siblings. So she spent a lot of time playing by herself or with her pets or her imaginary friends. Her mother originally didn't want her to start reading until she was about eight years old. So Agatha, little, little like three-year-old Agatha was like, hmm, no, mom, no. Because she learned to read by the age of four. Yeah, she was like, no, I'm reading now. She was homeschooled by her parents and her older sister. And by the age of 10 in 1901, she had already written her first poem, which was called The Cowslip. Cool. So already better than I was at 10. When her father died in November 1901, Agatha who was 11, said, quote, it marked the end of her childhood, end quote. That's just dark and okay, Agatha. In 1905, her mom sent her to Paris, where she was educated in a series of boarding schools that focused on voice training and piano playing, because I guess originally she wanted to be a part of the performing arts. But she soon realized that she didn't have the temperament or the talent for performing arts and return to England. At the age of 18, Agatha wrote her 
first short story, which was called The House of Beauty, which consisted of over 6,000 words on, quote, madness and dreams, which was a subject that fascinated her. It became an early version of her story, The House of Dreams. She tried submitting her works to magazines under multiple different pseudonyms, but they were all rejected. Some of them would later be revised and then published under her real name, but with different titles. Around that same time, she started working on her first novel, Snow Upon the Desert, which was rejected by seven publishers, but one of them, who was the agent of a family friend and novelist, suggested a second novel. Also during that time, Agatha's social life was expanding, and in 1912, she met Archibald Archie Christie. Can we see where this is going? His last name is Christie. Did you get that? Did you? Oh, my light turned off again. If you ever get the little string, not even string lights, if you're on YouTube, you can see them behind me. They're the little sticky things that you can put on walls or like behind your TV to make it look all cool and such. And it comes with a little remote to change them. They're horrible. First of all, once you put them on, you're not taking them off. No, the sticky stuff comes off on the wall. Yeah, so I can't even take those off and y yeah, it's, don't get them, okay? Anyway, sorry, tangent, where was I? 1912, Agatha Christie meets Archibald Archie Christie, who was the son of a barrister in the Indian Civil Service and Archie himself was a Royal Artillery Officer. Fun fact. The two quickly fell in love, and after only three months, Archie proposed and Agatha accepted. Again, shocking, because her name is Christie. She was not born Agatha Christie, as I said before. Two years later, at the outbreak of World War I in August 1914, Archie was sent to France to fight. The two married on Christmas Eve 1914, when he was home on leave. So it took two years, three months for them to propose, for him to propose, and then two years for them to get married. Okay, whatever. You do you. You do you, boo-boo. So during the war, Agatha involved herself in the war effort as a member of the Voluntary Aid Detachment of the Red Cross, which was a voluntary group of civilians who provided nursing care to military personnel, which is kind of freaking badass. She worked there from October 1914 to May 1915, took a break, and then again from June 1916 to September 1918, and worked like a total of 3,400 hours at the Red Cross Hospital. First as an unpaid nurse, and then as a paid dispenser after qualifying as an apothecary's assistant. Can we just go back to calling pharmacists apothecaries? I just think that's cool. It's cooler than pharmacy. I think we should go back to that. Can we do that? Is there a petition we can we can sign, we can create, pass around? Somebody get on that for me. Thank you. During that time, in specifically 1916, Agatha wrote her first detective novel, The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which featured Hercule Poirot. Did, does that ring a bell? Death on the Nile in theaters, February 11th. Not sponsored. Can they sponsor me? That'd be awesome. Anyway, her inspiration for that character came from Belgian refugees sorry, and the Belgian soldiers that she helped treat. And he's played by Kenneth Branagh in the movies, and it's freaking awesome. Love Kenneth Branagh. Stop 
with the tangents, Taylor, just stop. Back to the story. I apologize. Originally, the manuscript was rejected by two publishers, but then was finally accepted by one as long as Agatha changed how the solution was revealed in the book. She did so and signed a contract that committed her next five books to that publisher, which later she thought was exploitive, which kind of is. I don't know how book contracts are, so. And then that book was published in 1920. In August 1919, Agatha gave birth to her only child, Rosalind Margaret Clarissa, and Archie left the Air Force. Her second novel, The Secret Adversary, was published in 1922, and then her third, Murder on the Lynx, in 1923, along with a few short stories. So she's just book, book, book. Mm. Get it, Agatha. Also in 1922, Agatha did a Around the World promo tour for the British Empire Exhibition and left her daughter with her mother during that time. After Agatha continued to write, eventually the family bought a house in Berkshire or Berkshire, England, which they named the Styles after the mansion in her first detective novel. In April 1926, Clarissa, Agatha's mother, passed away, sending her into a deep depression. They were extremely close, so the death just obviously sent her into a deep depression. After a few months in August, reports started appearing in the press that she had gone to a small village to, quote, recuperate from a breakdown caused by overwork. And probably because her mother died. And also at that time, August 1926, Archie asked her for a divorce because he was in love with another woman named Nancy Neal. Not only that, he was having an affair. It wasn't like, oh, I met her. And I fell in love. No, he's been having an affair because men, douchebags. And now we get to her disappearance. So August 1926, Archie tells her, I want a divorce. I'm in love with another woman who I've been having an affair with for however long. I don't know. For some reason, I don't know if I couldn't find the exact reason. One article said that he gave Agatha like three months to repair the marriage or... She gave him months to, I don't know, because four months later on December 3rd, first of all, they're still together. They're still living together. And the two of them are heard arguing. And the next day, she's just gone. According to reports, around 9.30 p.m. December 3rd, Agatha went upstairs to kiss her daughter, who was seven at the time. Good night. Then she, she went downstairs, got in her car, drove off and wasn't seen again for 11 days. Her car was found the next day parked. I heard multiple reports on this too. It was either parked or it was found crashed on the edge of a chalk pit with its headlights still on. So I'm not entirely sure if the car was actually crashed or if it was literally just parked there, but it was found at a chalk pit with its headlights still on, and some of her clothes and private possessions were found in the back seat. There was also a series of letters that Agatha left for her husband, her secretary, and her brother-in-law, but Archie refused to say anything about what the letter had in it. The secretary said that hers was just a schedule, and then her brother-in-law told the police that his said she had gone to a spa in Yorkshire. First of all, why Archie 
aren't you talking? So like I said at the beginning, her disappearance sparked the biggest manhunt in British history for a missing person with over 1,000 policemen assigned to the case and hundreds of civilians wanting to help find her. And also for the first time, airplanes were involved in the search. Fun fact. Even Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, and Dorothy L. Sayers, who was the author of the Lord Peter Whimsey series, were drawn into the search in the hopes that their specialist knowledge would help find Agatha. Like, oh, you write true crime things in detective novels. You think you can help. But I mean, I mean, it's true. I mean, nowadays, internet sleuths help solve cases. So it's not that shocking, but it kind of is. Because I just think they're like so, so like egotistical. That's just where my brain goes. I don't know if they were egotistical or not. It's just where my brain goes. And they're like, hmm, like with a little monocle, just because they're British and his name, and specifically his name is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I just think like a monocle and he's like, hmm, hmm, what would Sherlock Holmes do? Hmm. I know nothing about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, so my apologies. But that that's just insulin where my brain went. Anyway. Of course, the tabloids were having a complete field day with all the elements of an Agatha Christie whodunit case. Not only did she just up and disappear and her car was found, the whole Archie situation. Also, her car was found close to a natural spring that was called the Silent Pool, which honestly should just be like the title of a horror thriller book. TM, I'm doing that. Never mind. It was also believed that two boys had drowned there, but there was no proof of it. So it's just like legend that that happened. But anyway, journalists were suggesting that maybe she killed herself. Maybe she drowned herself, but her body was nowhere to be found and nobody was actually really suspecting suicide. However, she was in a deep depression at that point. Her mother, who she was extremely close with, just died. Her husband was cheating on her and asked for a divorce four months earlier. Again, I'm not entirely sure why they were still together at that point. I mean, I personally would not think that it was unlikely that she killed herself. I would hope she wouldn't, obviously, because she had a daughter still. But, I mean, mental health, everybody. It's, it's a tricky thing. So, spoiler alert. Like I said, she was found 11 days later and she, she's alive. She didn't kill herself, but the re the reason here, 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 hold on, hold on. The reason why articles said that people weren't really suspecting suicide was because quote, her career was great, end quote, because that's the reason not to, to do it. Mental health early 1900s. Some people actually believed that maybe it was actually just a publicity stunt for her new book, but others were thinking it was murder. Dun dun dun! Like I said, Archie, her husband of 12, 13 years, no 12 years at this point, had just asked for a divorce four months prior to this, was known to be having an affair, and they were heard arguing the night she disappeared. So I would think that was likely. I don't know if nothing I read 
said the police actually talked to him about it or suspected him, anything like that. Honestly, everything I read just basically said she was, she left, found 11 days later. Nobody knows why. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, again, spoiler alert, she's not dead. She's alive. Anyway, I told you, this isn't really technically true crime, so... Anyway, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle actually took one of her gloves to a renowned medium to try and get some answers. He did not. So, maybe she wasn't a real medium, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Hmm. And by the second week of Agatha's disappearance, it had news of her disappearance had spread around the world and was even on the front of the New York Times. Finally, on December 14th, 11 days later, Agatha was found safe and well in a hotel in Harrogate, which was about 220 miles away from her home in Berkshire. When she was asked about what happened, she wasn't able to provide any answers or clues, stating that she didn't remember anything. Police came to the conclusion that she traveled to London, crashed her car on the way, took a train to Harrogate, where she checked into the Swan Hydro, which is now called the Old Swan Hotel, and checked in using the name Mrs. Teresa Neal, the surname of her husband's mistress. Boom. But again, she didn't remember anything. Nothing. She didn't remember anything. Or so she says. During this time in the 1920s, Harrogate was at the height of elegance, and Agatha did nothing to arouse suspicions. However, she joined in on the balls and dances, but nobody recognized her. She eventually was recognized by one of the hotel's banjo players, who then alerted police. So 11 days she's at this hotel and nobody recognized her when news of her disappearance is literally spread around the world? Okay. So the police told her husband, who immediately went to go get her, but she kept him, kept him waiting in the lounge. She was like, I'm not ready to go. You can wait out there. See you, bye. Thanks, Archie. Mm, you suck. Archie later said that Agatha had suffered a total memory loss as a result of the car crash. Again, I don't know if the car was actually crashed or if it was just parked. Multiple articles said multiple different things. Or I should say those two different things, not multiple, there's two. Many biographers suggest that she may have been in a fugue state, which is a psychological state where someone travels from their home in an almost like a trance and they have no recollection of who they are, their past, how they got there. They're unable to recall some or all of their identity or past. It's rare, sudden, and usually follows severe psychosocial stressors, which she was definitely under in that year. And her, she and her husband had just had an argument. We don't know what the argument was. We don't know how bad the argument was. And that would also explain her, quote, adoption of a new personality, Mrs. Neal, and her failure to recognize herself in newspaper photos, end quote. Agatha never talked about what happened in those 11 days, and so nobody truly knows what happened. For me, I find it very strange that nobody at the hotel knew who she was for 11 days, when again, she was this renowned author 
The news of her disappearance had spread worldwide. Nobody, nobody knows who you are. Were you wearing a disguise when you were at your at the dances at the hotel? I mean, I, I'm sure more than just the banjo player noticed noticed her. I just I don't believe that nobody realized who she was unless she was wearing a complete disguise. But if she was wearing a complete disguise, then she was not in a fugue state because then that would say that she knew who she was and she was trying to hide herself. And why would she choose the, th the surname of her husband's mistress if she was in a fugue state, didn't know who she was? I mean, it could have been like a subconscious thing of the psychological, psychosocial stressors. Could have been like a subconscious thing. So part of me wants to believe it, but at the same time, I like it, it doesn't make sense. In an article written for the Guardian newspaper in 2000, John Ezard interviewed Nan Watts, who was the daughter of Agatha's sister-in-law, who claimed that she knew the truth about what happened. She said that Agatha was hidden away in their home in Chelsea and then put on a train to Harrogate the next day. Quote, she then just sat there in her hotel room hiding away, but she had signed the guest's register in the name Neil the surname of her husband's lover. I hate that word. So gross. Anyway, it was carefully orchestrated. She wanted, she wanted Archie back. She wanted to give him a shock. If she had had amnesia, she would not have signed the register in another woman's name. My mother helped her because she was distraught. I think she went to my mother because she had been through a divorce. Mrs. Christie never did it for the publicity. That was the last thing she would have thought of. She was very upset and shocked. It all went rather wrong. End quote. So that makes more sense. I mean, she she hasn't gotten the divorce. It's been four months since he asked. Again, articles were saying that he gave her three months or four months to repair the marriage or she gave him months to repair. I don't know. So it would make sense that they have an argument she leaves and kind of just wanted to give him a shock and needed to get away. She needed to get away. I mean, duh, she just needed a little vacation. But it, yeah, like, like Nan Watts says, it went wrong because I don't think she wanted the whole, hold on, hold on. Cause now I'm thinking about it. I'm think. I'm thinking out loud now. She wanted, she didn't want the divorce. She wanted Archie back. So she leaves, she doesn't tell him, she gives him a shock, like, oh, she's left, where is she? Maybe he'll, he'll like run to her aid. But Nan says she was in her hotel room the whole time hiding away. That does not account for what article said about her dancing at the hotel. So that doesn't make sense either. I mean, what Nan says makes sense. She wanted, she had planned it. She wanted Archie back. She wanted to give him a shock. And then it just went wrong in the fact that she sparked Britain's largest manhunt for a missing person. But then articles also said that she was seen at the hotel dances. That does not go along with what Nan says, that she was just sitting in her hotel room. Also, if they knew that she was at the hotel dances, people knew who she was and didn't tell police. I see that I just, that doesn't make sense at all. The whole thing is just, I'm, I'm telling you, it's just kind of crazy. 
According to CrimeReads.com, Agatha used the name Miss Teresa Neal to post an advert in the Times of London asking for relatives to get in touch. Why would she do that? Also, when was it? I couldn't find that either. When did she do that? Why? I. She was also, at the time, writing a book in which the narrator itself could not be trusted. So maybe she was doing it as like more of like a research vacation. I know some authors do that to get into the mindset of their book. They go to where they have it set just to get the scene right. But again, nobody really knows. She never talked about it. And that was it. She left us on the biggest freaking cliffhanger of them all. Gotta miss you good. So in January 1927, she took her daughter to the Canary Islands, returned three months later. And in April 1928, she petitioned for divorce and it was finalized that October. So two years, two years it took. First of all, he asked for the divorce first. Then two years later, she asks for a divorce and it gets finalized. What? I don't know. And then Archie married his mistress a week later. He's a jerk face. Not that he married his, his lover. Not that, not that. I'm sure you're happy and whatever. The whole cheating and that. Asshole. Don't cheat. There's no reason. There's literally, no. So anyway, in her autobiography, Agatha Christie wrote, quote, so after illness came sorrow, despair, and heartbreak. There's no need to dwell on it. End quote. So first of all, kind of freaking badass. Like, yep, I disappeared because my husband was a douchebag, but that's the past and I'm not going to talk about it ever again. Okay, thank you. Really, Agatha? You're going to leave us on that cliffhanger? You're going to leave us on the cliffhanger. She kept the last name Christie because she is now known as Agatha Christie. And later in 1928, she went to Baghdad where she became friends with archaeologist Leonard Woolley and his wife. They invited her back on their dig in 1930, and there she met archaeologist Max Malawin, Malawin, Malawan, I don't know, I apologize, who was 13 years younger than her. The two got married in September 1930 in Scotland, and she traveled with him on his expeditions, which contributed to several of her novels that were set in the Middle East. Fun fact, the British intelligence agency, MI5, actually investigated Agatha after a character she wrote called Major Bletchley appeared in her 1941 thriller N or M. They considered that she had a spy in Britain's top secret code-breaking center, Bletchley Park. So they're like, ooh, oh no, you have a character in this that's named just after this person or this place. That's our top secret, our top secret code-breaking center. Oh no. But nothing came of it because then she told her friend who was a code breaker, Dilly Knox, she gave that name to her least lovable character because she was stuck, stuck there on a train. The train was stuck at Bletchley Park or near it. And she's like, you know what? I hate this. I'm naming my least lovable character after this godforsaken place. I love her. I need to start reading her books because I love her. In 1950, she was elected a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature, appointed commander of the Order of the British Empire in 1956, which I think that's when you're called like lady or something like that. 
like Lady Agatha Christie or something. She was then awarded an honorary Doctor of Literature degree in 1961 and then was promoted to Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire in 1971, and that is why she is called Dame Agatha Christie. From 1971 to 1974, her health began to deteriorate, but continued to write with her last novel being published in 1973. Agatha Christie passed away at the age of 85 on January 12, 1976, and was buried in the churchyard of St. Mary's in a plot that she had chosen with her husband 10 years earlier. The now husband, Max, who was a knight, so then she was also called Lady, but whatever, not not Archie douchebag guy. Her obituary in the Times said, quote, she never cared much for cinema or for wireless and television. Dame Agatha's private pleasures were gardening, she won local prizes for horticulture, and buying furniture for her various houses. She bougie. She's a bougie bitch. I love her. She was a shy person. She disliked public appearances, but she was friendly and sharp-witted to meet. By inclination, as well as breeding, she belonged to the English upper middle class. She wrote about and for people like herself. That was a, an essential part of her charm. End quote. I freaking love that. I connect with her on a deep level. I don't have very sharp wit, but I feel like I'm a friendly person, but I don't like public appearances. I want to stay at home. I love gardening and I like buying furniture. I don't have multiple houses. I actually don't have my own house. Hello being a millennial, an elder millennial and living with my parents. Yay. I, I love her. I need to start reading her books because wow, I love her. And that is Agatha Christie and the disappearance of Agatha Christie. I, then I found these couple quotes that I found from crimereads.com, which I think sum this up perfectly. Quote, the murders in Agatha Christie's novels always have a motive. In real life, motives are often more elusive. The mystery of what is going on in someone's mind, the why done it rather than the who done it, is so often tantalizingly out of reach. Perhaps in Agatha Christie's case, even to the woman herself. End quote. And the last one I have for you is, quote, the enduring mystery of Agatha Christie's life is how someone so enormously successful, so globally celebrated, so significant in the lives of hundreds of millions, no, in fact, billions of people lived so long and remains so unknown. In her stories, the character of each and every person in the room was exposed. In her life, she left us guessing end quote. Boom! First of all, hot damn to that quote, crimereads.com, go, go you, because that's some writing. And it's so freaking true. Th everything I told you, like that, that was it. She wrote. She disappeared. She continued writing. That was it. She became a dame. She's a bad bitch. She's fantastic. She's a bougie, she, she a bougie bitch, but she a bad bitch. I get it. And that's Agatha Christie. I hope you enjoyed this one. I like that it wasn't true crime exactly. I mean, I guess it is kind of a crime because I feel like if you, whatever, it doesn't matter. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you like this episode. It's a little different and that's what I want. I don't want this podcast to be just another 
paranormal or true crime podcast. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you do the thing. Apple Podcast. Facebook now has podcasts, which I think is pretty freaking cool. Um, Spotify, I know you can rate now, so please go do that. It really helps the podcast get out there, get more listeners. Also, share the podcast with everyone. Greatly appreciate that. And as always, you can find Morbid Academy wherever you get your podcasts with new episodes out on Friday or check out the video on Saturday at Coffee, Creeps, and Cake on YouTube. Please consider donating to patreon.com slash morbidacademy. There you can get bonuses, early access, and more, including once-a-month Patreon-only episodes. Or you can consider donating to buymeacoffee.com slash morbidacademy. Just if you want to donate whatever, it's not a monthly thing. It's just like a one-time thing. So there you go. Check out the merch at morbidacademymerch.com. I posted a new design of Let's Get Started, Shall We? with little blood splatter for a mug and a shirt. So please go check that out. And don't forget to tag me on Instagram or Facebook. I would love to see you repping the podcast. Follow along on Instagram and Facebook at Morbid Academy. Send me an email with what you want to hear in future episodes or your own creepy stories to morbidacademy at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you keep it creepy, friends. Bye-bye.